but suffice it to say this, uh, I'm a guy who's floating around out there uh, with a group of churches across the central part of the U.S. and have the privilege of working with guys like Alex and Ricky as churches are planted and uh, just get to find ways to help resource and serve uh, churches like City Light South Lincoln. Privileged to be in the room with you today. Uh, to be able to open the Word of God with you and explore this story that was just read. Before I jump there, though, let me just leave my district office hat on for just a moment. Uh, I wanted to say to you all as City Light South Lincoln, well done, church, on seeing a, a new work established, planted, and continuing to flourish even in the midst of a global pandemic. Like, the vast majority of the church out there has unfortunately slipped into some sort of, like, hibernation. And, and instead of doing that, you all have continued to find ways to carry the heart of Jesus and see the church continue to be planted, impacting lives, and it's been beautiful to see. Uh, as I get a chance to walk with Alex and Ricky and the advisory team around here, uh, you have a group of leaders who love Jesus deeply, who love you as the church, and who are trying to sort through what does it look like for us to carry on. And that's just been beautiful. At the same time, I am excited for the day when you don't have to deal with COVID-19. And uh, I was driving toward Lincoln this morning thinking if somebody a year ago would have told me, you'll stand up and preach in a room with people all wearing masks, I would have said, that's crazy. <laughs> and yet here we are. Uh, and in case you need to hear it, Jesus is still on the throne. And he knows exactly what's going on. And uh, it's always fun to get around church families that are continuing to say, what's it look like to just keep going? And uh, so, well done. As we come to Acts chapter 3, uh, let me start with this question. Have you ever been in a room and watched a grown man talk to himself? Like, like not just muttered a few things under his breath, but gave himself a full-blown pep talk. Because whether you knew it or not, that's what you just walked into today. Over the last weeks, as I've been reading Acts 3 over and over and over, which is a great thing to do with passages of Scripture, I feel like Jesus has just taken me on a deep, necessary journey of trying to learn from this story. To the point that I feel like I'm going to stand up here today and just sort of talk to myself. Like some stuff that I need to be reminded of. I need to experience the Lord's work around. And hopefully in the midst of weirdo up on the platform talking to himself, something is also said that's a benefit to you all. Three challenges here in this chapter that I think ought to shape how I do my everyday life. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to work our way back down through these verses. Verse 1, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man 
crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Uh, Let me stop right there and ask the question, is there anything in those first few verses that's striking to you? Mm, For most of us, probably not. It it feels like just an, a, a setup to whatever the real event is. And, and in large part, the first few verses of Acts chapter 3 really are just an introductory setup. The only thing Luke, the writer of this book, is doing right here is, a, is describing for us a little bit of the everyday life for these folks. There's really nothing extraordinary happening at this point. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. First century Jewish world, that would have been an incredibly natural thing for them to do. Three times a day, and side note, this might not be a bad thing for you and I to practice in our own lives, but three times a day in the Jewish world, things shut down so that the people of God could could spend some time praying. Usually 9 a.m., noon, and three in the afternoon, The world just kind of shut down for a bit. And it is very likely that Peter and John regularly took some of those times and went to the temple. This is just everyday life for these guys. The crippled man is also in the midst of his everyday life. He he was born crippled, and from an early age, he was being taken, Luke says here, every day to the temple where he would sit along the walkway into the temple courts and he would beg for help probably often head down hands out a cup out a a towel out in front of him something to say I could use your help and day after day after day he went to the temple to beg for help these first few verses are really just a description of everyday life for these folks. Now, what is striking to me about this is we know where the story is about to go next. That this man who has experienced unable to walk, unable to get up on his feet since he was born, this man is about to have his world radically transformed by Jesus. And I want you to see that Jesus is about to show up in the midst of the everyday experiences of these folks' lives. You see, in my world, I I often think about Jesus showing up on sort of the mountaintop kind of experiences. We're all going to take a missions trip to the other side of the planet, and we're expecting Jesus is going to show up and do some crazy stuff. We're headed off to a monastic retreat in Schuyler where we're going to spend the next three days in silence and solitude and we expect Jesus is going to show up. 
we're going to gather together on a Sunday morning to worship and we sometimes expect Jesus is going to show up. But the reality is, in this particular story, Jesus is about to show up, not on some sort of mountaintop experience that these folks are having. Jesus is about to enter into transforming this man's life in the middle of his everyday routine. The next thing that's striking to me about these verses is Peter and John's posture. Catch this. Peter and John would have walked this path day after day after day. The man, crippled from birth, is sitting there along the path begging day after day after. How many times have they walked by this guy? And yet look look at verse 4. Peter looked straight at him. Interesting little detail from Luke. Peter looks straight at him. Can I give you challenge number one out of this story? That I feel like Jesus has been trying to press into my heart over these weeks. I can blow through life passing by the same people day after day after day and never actually see a single one of them. Never actually be attentive to these people that I pass by all the time. For some reason on this day, Peter stops and gives his attention to this man. He stops and he looks straight at him and then he invites a man who probably typically had his head down. He invites the man to look back at him. There is a moment of connecting that's taking place. Why on this day? I don't know. But as I've tried to pour through what I learned from these verses, I'm just struck by how many people I never actually pay attention to. And it makes me go to the next place of how many people in my world was Jesus actually hoping to do something significant for? Even through me as a part of his body, as an instrument in his hands, but they never experienced what Jesus had for them because I was was too busy. I never saw him. The store clerk. I typically am the guy that's just, let's do the transaction because I got things I got to go do. Never even see them. Now I'm right there, right? They're right there. I'm not paying attention to them. How many times do I walk through the neighborhood? People out all over the place. Never actually pay attention to them. How many people do we pass when we take the kids into the school? Never actually pay attention to them. I'm curious what might change in our lives. What might change in the way Jesus uses our lives if we were actually attentive to the people around us? For me, it's kind of like this. You ever walked down a road 
that you normally drive. Walk down the sidewalk, down the same path you drive down day after day after day. You've been down that road a thousand times. And then for whatever reason, on this day, you actually walk it. You ever, you ever realize how much stuff you see that you've never seen before? I, I didn't even know there was a house right there. Now, I've never noticed the architecture of that building. I never realized that they've got a child in that family who spends her days sitting in a wheelchair. It's just blowing through life. What would it look like if you and I actually paid attention to the people around us? Story goes on. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This man has never had this experience. Everything about his existence just got flipped upside down. And he is thrilled about the whole thing. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is just Peter doing a beautiful job to get the attention of the crowd where the attention needs to be. Peter could have in this moment got a little, a little proud. He, he could have said, oh yeah, let, let me tell you some stories. We've been walking with this Jesus guy for quite a while. and We've been able to do some pretty incredible stuff. Jesus looks, or Peter looks at the crowd and says, no, 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 no. Listen, don't look at us as though we just did something special. What has happened here is that God is glorifying his son, Jesus God is putting his son, Jesus, on display. God is saying to the world, I want you to see the power of Jesus. Let me read a little further. Peter changes his tune a bit. This, by the way, he's saying is the Jesus that you just crucified. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of this Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. 
and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. So here's challenge number two. What if, as I went through my everyday routines of life and was finally paying attention to people, what if I did so from a posture of expectation that says this, Jesus probably wants to show up right now and he probably wants to do something in this person's life. That I lived with a sense of expectation. I, I don't know how often you, you live like that. I know for me, that I can just go through the motions without any sense that Jesus might actually want to do something in this person's life right now. What if I had a posture of expectation that said, I wonder what Jesus might want to do, and therefore, I spent my time pointing people to him. I spent my time pointing people's attention to Jesus. Now, if I can just talk about the church in general, I don't think the church is doing real well at this. And here's one of the main reasons I say that, and you can watch your own sort of sphere of influence and how this goes where you run. It feels incredibly rare to hear people actually use his name. Just let that sink in for a moment. It feels rare to hear even Christ followers say his name. We'll talk about all kinds of other things. We'll talk about our church. We'll talk about our city group. We'll talk about the book we just read as a part of our city group. We'll, we'll use all kinds of other names, and they come freely out of our mouths. Hey, you should check out our church. You should check out our city group. And, and please hear this. City Light, City Light South Lincoln, beautiful name. Tell people to check her out. Your city group, I'm sure it's a beautiful thing. Tell people to check out your city group. But his is the name above every name. It is his name that has the power to transform lives. It is his name that has the power to save souls for all of eternity. It should be his name spilling off of our tongues all the time. And yet it feels like rarely does, does the name Jesus get uttered. Now, if you're sitting there a little like roughed up by that, and you're like, not in my world, then I want to say great. But I get around a lot of church people. And I just think, oh, please say his name. In some settings, we talk a lot about the gospel. But we still don't say his name. What if, as I was paying attention to people around me, I had a posture of expectation that said, huh, I wonder what Jesus might want to do right here. 
And therefore, I found ways to point people to him. Now, let me say this. I have no idea how Peter knew that in that moment, on that day, he was supposed to look at a man crippled from birth and say, get up and walk. I don't know how he knew to do that. I will tell you this. I not only believe Jesus could still do that today, I believe Jesus is still doing that today. How do I know if in a moment like that, I'm supposed to say something like in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk? I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us what happened for Peter. So let me suggest this. What Jesus might want to do in those moments of you paying attention to your neighbor, what he might want to do, that's up to him. Does he want to give a lame man the ability to walk? It's up to him. Does he want to restore a marriage in that moment? Up to him. Does he want to call somebody into an eternal relationship with him? Up to him. My job is not to determine what Jesus is going to do. My job is to determine what does it look like to be a faithful part of his body. My vantage point right here and now. How do I be the best instrument in Jesus' hands right now? And the best I can tell you is I need to get their attention on him. Now, his spirit may prompt your heart to say something like, stand up and walk. And if his spirit prompts your heart to do that in the name of Jesus, don't let that person miss what Jesus wants to do. But how he's going to show up, that's not my deal. And I personally find great freedom in that. Because I walk around thinking, well, I don't know that Jesus wants to do that today. I don't, I don't know what Jesus might want to do, so I'm just going to shy away and not, not point this person to him at all. I think the lesson here is just get their attention to him. So it makes me wonder, what happens if in my everyday life, I actually paid attention to the people I encounter? And what happens if I was intentional about pointing them to Jesus? And then the story goes on. Peter has changed his focus from the crippled man, and he's now in the middle of what some have called Peter's second sermon, where he's sort of preaching to the crowd that's gathered in amazement. And, and in the prior verses I just read, Peter sort of let them have it, right? He reminds them of the decisions they have previously made about this Jesus. And then he gets to verse 17. He said, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything he promised long ago through his holy prophets. 
try to stick with these next verses. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among the people, his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, and you, speaking to the first century Jewish audience, you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And so when God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. As I'm doing life, seeking to be attentive to people around me, and I'm trying to find ways to point their attention to Jesus. Challenge number three. At some point, I also need to call them to make a decision about this Jesus. At least mark that down in your mind for now, and let me draw that out a little bit. At some point, every person on the planet is going to have to make a decision of what they're going to do with Jesus. He is the the pivot of human history. I either decide I am going to do life my way apart from Christ, or I am going to entrust my life to him and follow him. Every person on the planet has to make a decision. Me? We're following after Jesus. And every person you encounter in life, family member, close friend, your neighbor, or the total stranger, every person on the planet has to make a decision about Jesus. Now, we've sort of turned this into like our opinionated approach to life. Like everybody out there has these opinions about historic figures or maybe opinions about current figures. There's people like Donald Trump. Everybody on the planet has an opinion about Donald Trump. Truth is, my opinions of Donald Trump are fairly inconsequential to the realities of my life. Certainly, fairly inconsequential to eternity for me. They're just opinions. I either go by the red hat or I don't go by the red hat. We've started to treat Jesus kind of like that. If you like him, great. If you don't, no pressure. And we have got to recognize Jesus is not one that we can simply have opinions about. He is the pivot of eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. And every person on the planet's got to make a decision. 
And so at some point in my attempt to point those I've been attentive to, to him, I got to help them know there's a decision to be made here. Now, some of y'all were with me at the, I want to be attentive to people and I want to point them to Jesus. You, you were sort of like energized by that a little bit. Some faces were popping into your mind. Yeah, th- these folks, I'd love to find a way this week to point them to Jesus. And then I get to this third challenge and you're like, whoa, hold up. Kent, that's not me. It starts to feel to, to some of us like sort of a, a bad used car sales thing. Like, I'm not that kind of person. I, I, don't, I don't really want to be one of those that's like pressuring people. I'm careful not to like put them in a corner or make them feel like they need to buy this thing I'm trying to sell them. I'll point them to Jesus in some other ways, but I'm not about calling them into making a decision. And if that's you, and I was allowed to sit beside you, I'd come sit right beside you and say, me neither. The whole sales pitch kind of thing sounds awful to me. I get around my brother Alex, and he does his thing out in the foyer of a church building like life of the room kind of guy, right? Just going to make you feel welcome. He's up here hollering from the platform and just... Alex could sell a desert to somebody who thought it was a mansion and they'd be like, I'm in. (laughs) I don't have whatever that mojo is. It's beautiful. I wish, I wish. I don't have it. But y'all, I'm not selling some cheap used car. I personally, <laughs> I am carrying around in my soul the pathway to the blessings of the living God. I carry around in my soul the answer that every person on the planet is hungering for. I carry around within my soul the way and the truth that leads to eternal life. I have found the answer. This isn't me trying to pressure somebody to buy some junk. It's not me trying to put my opinion on you. It's the words of the atheist who said if Christians actually believe what Christians say they believe, you would crawl across the globe on broken glass to tell even just one person. This is the story going back into Genesis forward, unfolding right in the presence of these people gathered for prayer at three in the afternoon where Peter is saying, look, God's plan to bring blessing to the world is unfolding right here in front of you. And we now are carriers of that. And so for me to not invite people to make a decision about Jesus is really one of the most unthinkable self-centered things I could possibly do. I found something, but I'm not going to tell you about it.
I found something, but I'm not going to help you understand that this same something is a free gift for you as well. I'm challenged to be more fervent in calling people to make a decision about Jesus. So let me just give you one just very practical scenario of how this could play. People in your life regularly are telling you about their struggles. Whether they're doing it intentionally to sit down and say, hey, can I talk to you? Or they're just letting it fly. People are regularly telling you about their struggles. You're in the workplace one day and your coworker comes and, and they're just letting you know the condition of their marriage. It's not good. What if in that moment you simply said something like this? Hey, Jim, could I tell you what I've experienced? Now, up to this point, you're totally safe. Jim could say no, go back to his tacos, finish lunch, get on with the day. Jim may say, I'd, I'd love to hear. You know, Jim, my wife and I, we went through some really similar kind of stuff. But then a friend of mine introduced me to Jesus. Told me that he had a whole different way of life. And he encouraged me to commit my life to following Christ. And we did. My wife and I both, and I want to tell you something, it has flipped our world upside down. And Jim, I want you to know, you can make the same decision I did. Anything that would keep you from doing that? In two minutes, maybe in 30 seconds, I paid attention to my coworker who was just cranking off on his marriage. I pointed him to Jesus. And I invited him to make a choice. How, what Jesus does in that moment from that point, that's up to him. I didn't beat him up. I didn't get offensive. Wasn't fussing at him. Didn't drop a Bible on his head. Just point him to Jesus and invite him to make a decision. So what happens? What happens if there are a whole bunch of us who are actually paying attention to the people around us from a posture of expectation that says, I bet Jesus wants to do something here. So we point attention to him. And we even take it to the place where we invite him to make a decision. I don't know where Acts chapter 3 hits you. But for me, this, is, this has been an incredible journey. It's very helpful and at the same time very convicting. So I set an alarm on my phone to interrupt my life at 4.03 every afternoon except Sunday in case I'm in a setting like this and then I just get to preach on it. This is Paul's prayer or Paul's invitation to prayer. Catch that. Paul, like the guy we know as like the man when it comes to this stuff. Paul says, and pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ 
Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Being wise in the way I act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul is praying, God, would you, would you open the door? Would you help us to share it clearly? Would you give us the boldness that we need, the grace that we need? And what if our lives could be used as instruments in his hands? So my last challenge for you is this. What if you asked Jesus for two conversations a week? Just two conversations like this a week. Some of you are like, two? Should we have an hundred of these? Great, you run with your hundred. For the others in the room, what if you said, Jesus, I would love two times a week to be captured by somebody, to have opportunity to point them to you and even invite them to make a decision. And you started to pray into that. You maybe invited some accountability toward that. Hey, Joe, I'm doing this thing. Will you ask me how it's going? Hold me accountable. Don't let me forget this. 85% of what I just said will be gone by the time you get out of this door. That's just the statistics of preaching. 99% will be gone by the time you get done with lunch. We need other voices to help us, right? Say it to somebody. Hey, hold me accountable two times a week. Watch what happens in your journey when you start to live with that kind of intentionality. And then we all get to watch what Jesus does in a place like South Lincoln, Nebraska, where the Lord has put you. And I think he wants to get some stuff done. Jesus, I am grateful for this story. A lot of things happens on the pathway to the temple that were never recorded. And yet you left us this one. Grateful for the opportunity to learn from it. Grateful for the challenge found in it. And yet Jesus, I don't want to just be stirred for a few moments on a Sunday morning by it. And so I pray that in my own journey, and I'll let these folks join this if they want to, but I pray in my own journey, you would create a new level of attentiveness to people. Help me to see people. Help me to see my neighbors. Help me to see the store clerk. Help me to see the parents of the other kids and my kids' activities. And Jesus, I pray you would help me to see ways to point their attention to you. Lord, even to the place of calling them into decisions. Jesus, we want to be faithful stewards of what you have blessed us with. We're not interested in just hoarding it unto ourselves. This thing we call City Light South Lincoln is not interested in just being some sort of holy huddle that gathers for a few hours on a Sunday morning. 
We want to be your body on your mission, accomplishing what you want to see done. And so I pray that for your name's sake, Jesus, and for the sake of the world around us, you'd stir something up in us that we would be carriers of you into the world. Lord, where there's a lack of courage, I pray that you would give courage. Where there's insecurity, help folks to rise up as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Where there's selfishness, would you crack deep in your hearts? We pledge our allegiance to you, to your mission, and say, Jesus, do with us as you desire. We pray in your name. Amen.